It seems every day the conversation around ESG gets louder and more frequent, spreading into every industry, from finance to the corporate world to the energy sector and large-scale industry. Here in the Middle East, there is an evolving discussion about nations' energy mix as they transition away from toxic power sources and the impact they have on planet Earth. And here in the UAE, there is much focus on alternatives, some such as solar power, but an increasing focus on hydrogen and its potential. Now, I'm delighted on AB Talks, as always, to be joined by people far smarter than I. And on this podcast, I'm delighted to introduce Dr. Emmanuel Kakaras, the Executive Vice President for Next Energy Business with Mitsubishi Heavy Industries EMEA. Now, to give you the audience a little bit of background about Professor Kakaras, he's been the Executive Vice President of the Next Energy Business at Mitsubishi Heavy Industries, EMEA, since April 1st this year. But prior to that, he was Senior Vice President for New Products and Energy Solutions at the MHI Group Company with Mitsubishi Power Europe since January 2018. And then prior to that, he served as Vice President and Head of Research and Development at Mitsubishi Hitachi Power Systems Europe since September 2012. And his R&D activities mainly focused on flexible operation of thermal plants, on fuel cells, on electrolyzers, the development of large-scale energy storage and the utilization of CO2. And if all that's not enough, he is a member of the board of directors of EU turbines. Safe to say he knows what he's talking about, which is more than I can say on any given day. Dr. Kakaris, welcome to AB Talks, this podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. And uh, um, thank you very much for this lengthy introduction. At the end of the day, it's all about Mitsubishi. And yeah. it's all about new energy technologies. That well, it's fascinating. I mean, almost on every given day at Arabian Business, we're either covering or talking you know, about the importance of this. Um, and we've been repeating, reporting a lot about hydrogen. So I wanted to start um, with the question, how much potential, you know, what is the potential of hydrogen? How does it help this region accelerate its energy transition? And of course, the important issue of decarbonization. Yeah, obviously, uh, we have to say a couple of words about hydrogen first, mm. um, in the sense that uh, uh, it's so much in the news, and what's predominantly in the news is the so-called green hydrogen, that means the one produced from renewable electricity. Yeah. Although hydrogen is pretty much known, also in the region and the traditional industries, in the petrochemical industries, uh, we are consuming uh, worldwide uh, almost uh, a bit less than 100 million tons per year of hydrogen today. But uh, that one that we are using is predominantly gray. That means it is associated with uh, CO2 emissions. Now, the, the, the game changer uh, is that as we move towards a more and more uh, extensive use of renewable electricity and renewable energy sources or whatever that might be, wind, uh, solar, and so on, uh, the more we need to store excessive energy for the simple reason that uh, uh, this cannot be utilized at uh, any given point of time, because uh, in regions like the Middle East, we have uh, definitely a huge potential and overcapacity in renewables. So mm -hmm. what we do with that, we store it in the form of hydrogen, we use an electrolysis, uh, consume renewable electricity, produce hydrogen, and use it as an energy storage. 
That being said, uh, it gives an additional vector, uh, an energy carrier that it is carbon free. Uh, it enhances the use of renewable electricity. And in, uh, in the region like the Middle East, it complements uh, the region's potential as an energy exporter. Because, uh, you know, at the end of the day, when we are talking renewable energies, mm. uh, we are talking uh, about a mismatch between uh, production and consumption. Uh, there are the so-called energy-intensive regions of the world, the West, North America, and so on, Japan, which not necessarily have the similar potential on renewable electricity or renewable energy sources. So hydrogen in that form is aimed to bridge the gap between supply and demand of uh, renewable electricity and then at the same time uh, be the key enabler to further reduce the carbon footprint of the planet at the end of the day. That sounds like a very um, advantageous possibility for the Middle East then, because basically what you're saying is not only does it have the opportunity to take advantage of this technology to reduce its carbon footprint, but it's got the potential to become a manufacturing hub for hydrogen. How, how possible is that? I mean, is that something that this region can scale? Definitely, yes. Definitely, yes. And uh, uh, because, first of all, the, the, the conditions are there. Uh, mm. The region is extremely rich on uh, solar irradiation, so we can uh, we have no issues with space. So uh, we can build up, uh, especially uh, solar uh, po uh, solar powered renewable generation. Yeah. And by building that up, uh, we can uh, transform this renewable electricity into, into hydrogen and use it both locally, but mostly it will be for export. I think that uh, you will agree with me that if the region has so much potential in renewable electricity that it definitely exceeds the local demand. So uh, th there is a huge export potential which is complementary to the, I mean, to the uh, economic structure of yeah. the region. It seems to fit hand in glove with what's happening already here in the region. When we've got two or perhaps three of the biggest solar power, uh, solar power farms in the world already. So if they're already capturing that, this just seems to make good sense. Is it a win-win? Absolutely, yes. And uh, already today, uh, we have issues of, of electricity oversupply right. in the region. So uh, if I uh, add on that renewable electricity or green electricity oversupply, or the necessity to, to green the energy mix as much as possible, that's yeah. the explanation of what you say. And this explains, of course, the tremendous uh, uh, potential and the, 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 the publicity that we have around hydrogen and the, the bold moves towards uh, real big size projects based on hydrogen. That's an interesting phrase, that bold moves, uh, because obviously the UE and, and the Middle East, it, it, it's one of those, it's one of the most ambitious parts of the world. So if we look at that, do we have an advantage here? You know, how quickly can this technology be rolled out? And what would you say the barriers to its adoption are? Do we have a better chance here than many in, in perhaps some other places in the world? Yeah, oh, um, obviously, yes, because of the location, because of the productivity 
of a solar plant in terms of uh, uh, of load equivalent load hours uh, hours days months of sunshine and so on and so on and on the other hand it's all about um you know uh, it's it's not about the technology though the technology is there so uh, we don't need to invent something else we have the basic of the yeah. technology so the we have to do it at a bigger scale and uh, with a, a higher load factor that means exploitation time and scale are the drivers for having competitively priced green hydrogen. And just to stay with the advantage of this region, um, do we think we have a, you know, a potential advantage in the, this is a region and particularly the UE, it, it sets a policy, it has a goal and it can achieve it and it, and it basically kind of goes out all out to achieve that. So are you seeing, genuine energy around the conversation about this source of energy? If I judge from the recent announcements, definitely yes. Uh, so uh, there is um, a momentum uh, for producing uh, an additional energy carrier, which is uh, hydrogen. Yeah. There is momentum to green the oil and gas industry in the region. Of course, uh, this will not happen overnight, no. uh, but uh, I think that uh, we will be witnessing more and more um, final investment decisions in uh, a number of projects in the region. And of course, it will happen, it will not happen overnight. And definitely, it will not be only uh, green hydrogen. I think uh, uh, they will, this will be complemented with the decarbonization of the gas itself. I mean, we will be looking also in other forms of uh, producing hydrogen, which is equally carbon free, I would say. Namely, uh, we will see also other technologies that we will uh, remove carbon from the hydrocarbons produced in the region so that we could have both streams, renewable hydrogen and carbon-free, or what we call blue hydrogen, coming yeah. from different uh, places in the region. And uh, this is also complementary to the oil and gas infrastructure that exists in the region. You talk about momentum. Um, I mean, the UE has recently signed a series of agreements with countries such as Japan to accelerate hydrogen and to make Abu Dhabi the region's hub on green hydrogen uh, that we were talking about. How will the countries benefit from this partnership? I think the, this is not an isolated uh, event. It's part of the regions or the UAE's strategy to attract technological excellence yeah. and obtain leadership in uh, uh, renewable electricity and renewable energy sources. Yeah. Uh, this is, uh, you know, it complements a series of projects that uh, also in Abu Dhabi, we had it in the past through Mazdar. Uh, I was in the region a couple of weeks ago when I delivered a lecture to REACH, to the Uni Al Khalifa University in the new yeah. uh, research center on carbon and hydrogen. And uh, I so I see technological excellence in, in the region. So it's not the site only, it's know-how, it's uh, cutting edge technology, 
yeah. is uh, attracting uh, new scientists, attracting talented engineers. So it's it's more than you know exploiting the the ample sunshine, and I think uh, that's what uh, the the government of UAE has uh, recognized and. They take these steps with bilateral agreements, with uh, technology exchange. Having UAE as a, a great showcase at large scale for uh, innovative energy technology. I mean, it seems like it's the right time to be having this conversation because you know we've got Expo 2020 in the UAE, which is all about sustainability, opportunity and mobility and it would seem that this you know ticks all three of those boxes and we're on the eve of cop 26 back in um, back in glasgow just just at the end of this month start so it seems like the perfect time to be having this conversation tell me um and for the un- uninitiated out there like how are companies currently incorporating hydrogen into their products and what are the anticipated benefits particularly bearing in mind the economics of the technology at the stage First of all, you know, um, hydrogen is the key enabler for decarbonization. So uh, whenever we are talking about sustainable finance, when, uh, whenever we are talking about taxonomy, you, uh, in your introduction, you talked about ESG. Yeah. Uh, and the, the, and the, the, the priorities set by, uh, by modern governance towards the carbon footprint reduction yeah, these, all these uh, speak for the introduction of uh, greener technologies. So that's a wider framework. Yeah. Now uh, you can decarbonize, uh, for instance, if I'm looking to the refineries, uh, which is um, uh, which is what we see in Europe, for example, as the first movers. The use of hydrogen there or in the steel industry can be quickly substituted by green ones. So. I was talking about this 100 million tons of hydrogen that is currently uh, used in the industry. So that's the first target. That's a kind of low-hanging fruit for substitution. So that is where we are start. We will start, and of course, this will give you know the green premium to certain industries. We have uh, been discussing about green steel, uh, uh, green aluminum and so on and so on. This greening effect is coming by using uh, carbon-free energy carriers like, um, you know, like, like hydrogen. And of course, uh, you have the technologies for production and you have the adaptation of the, uh, of the manufacturing uh, of, the, uh, um, of the end user for uh, the consumption. So these two should match. That means we are here at the point where uh, the industry is asking of, uh, of vast quantities of hydrogen that would justify investments at scale that we were discussing before. Okay, so I'm going to ask you for your kind of local perspective now. I mean, you obviously are talking on behalf of Mitsubishi Heavy Industries, Amir. Um, tell me a little bit about your expertise in carbon-free power generation using hydrogen and ammonia as fuels. Yeah, that's a very good point because um, um, uh, I think uh, one of the interesting um, uh, features of uh, the work we are doing in uh, Mitsubishi Heavy Industries is that uh, we consider ourselves as a one-stop shop for energy, for hydrogen technologies. That means we are active on production of hydrogen, 
whether that it's green or blue, yeah. on uh, transport of hydrogen, compressing it, or using ammonia, which to my understanding, to our understanding, is the most competitive way to commoditize hydrogen, right. that means convert it to ammonia and have it transported uh, all over the globe, literally. And then we have also the end use. So we have technologies for all these components. And the end use, interestingly enough, is not only uh, fuel cells, which we have. Yeah. Uh, it's not only mo uh, uh, mo mobility, which we don't have, <laughs> but uh, it's also uh, using in, uh, in the sense of decarbonizing also dispatchable thermal power. In simple words, you can adapt your, and we have the technology for that, adapt our gas turbines, which are uh, well known also in the region, uh, yeah. in the different power plants, in the different power islands. But we have the so-called hydrogen-ready gas turbines, which could accommodate, could consume excessive hydrogen that comes into the fuel mix. And that's a very interesting uh, development because at the end of the day, this enables the use of hydrogen as a huge battery. I think uh, this, uh, this highlights the importance of hydrogen yeah. as a mean of energy storage, which is the, 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 the key role of hydrogen in the energy mix. And with our technologies, and I think uh, future will show that this is very important if we would like to achieve what we call deep decarbonization. That means if you want to go carbon neutral and yeah. you, you wish to have dependable and interruptible electricity supply around the clock, and not only during sunshine or, or windy days in Northern Europe, then you have to introduce hydrogen also in the energy mix. And the technology for that is uh, the hydrogen-ready gas turbines. I mean, it just seems that hydrogen is just on the top of everyone's lips at the minute when we're talking about this. I was even having a conversation earlier this week with a with a company that's creating hydrogen-powered aircraft, and that, that's the future of mobility in that space. So it, it's, it's clearly a growing, growing conversation. And if we look across the border, Saudi Arabia has also expressed its ambition to become a global powerhouse in hydrogen. Um, and similarly, the UAE has recently announced its Net Zero 2050 strategic initiative. So what are your thoughts around this? Do you think Middle East government policies and strategies on hydrogen are enough to accelerate its adoption? I think um, if I'm, I'm taking um, a step back and look at the similar experiences we are having in Europe, for example, yeah. where we have uh, adapted equally ambitious role uh, and uh, targets and uh, policy measures, uh, we have to create a stable regulatory environment to enable investments to happen. Yeah. So that means political will is one thing, yeah. regulatory stability is the second yeah. thing. And uh, then the market will choose the path that uh, le will uh, lead to a massive rollout of the enabling technologies, and it will be carbon-free hydrogen uh, among, uh, from us, it will be the key one to enable uh, the full decarbonization. And of course, the, the, uh, I was 
uh, I was in the in the region when I heard the announcement uh, about the UAE going equally like the the, the European Union to, towards carbon neutrality and in, in 2050. Yeah. And uh, I think that uh, um, because of the structure, the economic structure over there, uh, uh, it will be easier to achieve than in, uh, for instance, in uh, in the European Union. If the will, the political willingness is there, and if the the regulatory uh, the, the regulation is set into place, and uh, deciding regulation in UAE is much more easier, I think you will agree with me than deciding Indeed. regulation yeah. in the European Union, where yeah. you have to have you know twenty seven member states, governments, yeah. European yeah. Parliament, and so on. No, we have, we have an agile structure in which you know, regulations can yeah. be created, drawn up, and then implicate, you know, uh, and put into practice. I'm going to, uh, you've been incredibly generous with your time. I'm just going to ask you one last question, which is kind of your personal thoughts. Uh, I mean, you're working in a, a sphere here that potentially makes the planet a better place. How does that feel? And what's exciting you over the next 12 to 24 months ahead? It's a very good question because in uh, I have to, to to start by acknowledging that I have a 25 years of background in uh, research development. Uh, I was training scientists and still I'm a part-time university professor. So research was what I was doing uh, all my professional life before joining uh, the industry. So personally, I'm excited because uh, it's uh, we are living in a time that the time between research and development and prototype building to the industrial intel, uh, implementation at full scale has been shortened because of the ambitious uh, target setting and so on. So I feel quite fortunate that uh, uh, I'm, I'm living in this time because what I was doing in my, uh, in my lab early 2000 yeah. is now today's uh, practice. So. Uh, and that is a message that I'm conveying to my team and to my students. And uh, interestingly enough, our business attracts the bright minds again, as it used to have to be in uh, the earliest time, uh, times of developing the power industry. Having said all that, uh, I think that in the next couple of years, we will be focusing in realizing the first big full-scale projects, and I mean projects on the scales of multiple hundreds of megawatts of electrolyzers that would deliver green hydrogen. And uh, uh, this, this is a clearly first mover advantage. Yeah. And uh, we are putting resources, we are talking with partners, and we think that uh, uh, this will be the game changer by the mid of this decade we have a clear, very clear view how the full-scale projects will look like and what is the, 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 the steps, the means, the funding mechanisms that we have to put together uh, to implement this very ambitious strategy. So uh, I think the next two or three years will be quite exciting and then uh, we have to rush from 2025 onwards.
that's what I'm looking for the future. <laughs> Fascinating future ahead. Uh, Dr. Karas, thank you so much for being so generous with your time this morning. A fascinating conversation. Uh, and I wish you all the success with your projects moving forward. Thank you for joining thank us on ABT. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me here. Enjoy this conversation very much. Thank you very much indeed.